0: A Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Today we're talking US midterm elections. These are your elections that take place right in between the two major elections in the US, which really doesn't make any sense. You better elaborate right, on that, Okay, Keith, because- so
1: the, the president is elected for four years. And remember, in the United States, the dates are actually laid down in the Constitution. Very different from Australia, where it depends on the Prime Minister pulling a date out of the air. In the United States, it's laid down when the election is to take place and when the president is to be sworn in. That'll be in the January. So they are the presidential terms. And then after two years, we get the midterm election. And so the midterm election will be all of the lower house and one third of the Senate. So all of the lower house every two years comes up for election and then one third of the Senate. So a senator serves for six years and so a third retires, in theory. Sometimes the date's are a little out of kilter. But in essence, that's what the midterm elections are going to be about.
0: So there's a lot of momentum for this over in the US at the moment. because It's a very, very big deal. And uh, there's a lot of talk about um, a swing against Trump um, after the last couple of years of him being in honest, in honest, in office. And also, uh, significant this week, John McCain,
1: yeah. um,
0: a Republican senator, has died. And it was very, very anti-Trump. and And, and really a pillar of American political society and
1: very revered, wasn't he? In some quarters. Mm. I'm not a great admirer oh. uh, because of his um, support for the war in Iraq, et cetera, and obviously his involvement in Vietnam. So I'm not in his fan club. I think there are really three points of view. You've got those who see him as a great American hero, Trump who despised him, and you've got others who just say, well, At the end of his life, he was really doing good work, but he had, nonetheless, been very heavily involved with military operations, and uh, I don't think he ever came across a war he didn't like. But, of course, he then developed doubts about Afghanistan and, of course, about Iraq, but he was one of those gung-ho in favour of going into those conflicts in the first place. Um, But what is interesting is that two American presidents will be speaking at his funeral service, but not... President Trump. He's not even been invited. So Obama and George
0: W. Bush. Bush. yeah. Yep. And the, and this is embarrassing for Trump, but not only this week has Trump squashed the White House's press release about the death. He didn't let that go out. And then when he did make acknowledgement of John McCain's passing, he put a photo of himself very on tacky. social media yeah. with the release, just was, saying he had the condolences, pass on condolences.
1: Yeah. It was very tacky, but at the same time, it's very honest. And I regard Donald Trump as a master communicator. George Bush, who will be speaking at the funeral, uh, hopefully will be able to read out his script. He certainly can't think of these things off the cuff. So he was incoherent. Then you get Obama coming in, who was super fluent. He's one of the most intelligent people ever to be in the White House. And so we get Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is interesting because he talks quickly, he bounces from topic to topic, often never finishes his sentences. And so for the people who admire the Obama style of eloquence, they think that Trump is not a good communicator. But I regard him as a master communicator um, because he was able to come up with a narrative, a story, and that's what you need now. In other words, in his case, uh, back in 2016, his lead character in that narrative was the American voter who was feeling angry, anxious, betrayed, living in a country run by loser politicians And so Trump said that he'd be able to cut through all the complexity, stop illegal immigration, negotiate trade deals, bring jobs back from overseas, keep out of foreign wars. And then he always finished each speech with a call for action, vote for Trump. So I think he was actually a brilliant communicator. So although you've got people who no doubt will be offended by what he's doing about McCain, there'd be others who are still saying, I support Donald Trump despite all of this, even conservative veterans of foreign wars will no doubt say that Trump is still doing a good job.
0: So when are the midterms?
1: So the midterm will be on November the 6th.
0: And when do we get the results of that?
1: So the result will come through, well, fairly quickly. Of course, this is one of the issues that one needs to keep an eye open, is the integrity of the voting system, right? So uh, I think there are a couple of issues there to be looked at. So uh, one is the um, whole question of voter fraud. Trump has been challenged by 2016. He got the electoral college votes, which is what determines who becomes president. But he didn't get the popular vote. In other words, more people voted for Mrs. Clinton than Trump. Trump's response was, to say, voter fraud. Of course more people voted for me. So he set up an inquiry, which has been quietly wound up. Uh, but he set up an inquiry looking at these voter fraud. No evidence has been found. In fact, it's interesting how little fraud there is in the United States. But so that's, that is an issue. What the Republicans are doing is trying to purge the electoral rolls to reduce the Democrat voters. So if they think a name is a, a name of a black person, they're off the roll. So it's really horrendous. But If you go back to the year 2000, uh, when we had that saga over George W. Bush, and Al Gore, and we had the hanging chads and all the rest of it, and it was the Supreme Court that decided the outcome, not the voters. it was the Supreme Court after that debacle in the year two thousand President Carter, by the way, even when you leave office, you're still kept called president, so President Carter runs an election monitoring service, and he was asked will you monitor the elections in 2004? And he said, no, my organisation cannot do that because the American electoral system does not come up to international standards. So the right at the top in terms of benchmarking is the Australian system. We are the model for around the world. It's interesting to think that. Like, for example, we've just been talking about electoral rolls, right? In, the United, in Australia, there's one electoral roll. When you turn 18, you must go onto that role. And then if you move from one address to another, you must keep that role updated. In the United States, the electoral role varies from one county to another, one state to another, which means, therefore, that in some states, you can get people getting struck off that electoral role. So that's one issue, you know, the whole question of the integrity of the election. The other thing, just to add to people's concern, is that we've just had what's called the DEFCON, conference. Uh, So it's a term uh, talking about defence preparedness. And it was the 26th annual conference takes place in Las Vegas. And it's made up of white hats. In other words, people who hack systems, but they're on our side, right? They're they're not the criminals. They're the people who test the systems. And two 11-year-olds, a young Bianca Lewis of New Jersey, and Jonathan Lensky of New Hampshire were winners of the contest to hack into the US electoral system. 11-year-olds. Oh, my gosh. And, of course, because the American infrastructure is winding down, a lot of those counties are using very old IT. You know, when you think of what this office looks like with all the modern state-of-the-art stuff, when you go to some of these counties, you've got very old IT systems, very easy to hack. And these two children were the winners. They were the ones who got into the system most quickly.
0: So what are they doing then to counter this?
1: Well, they're, they're trying to reassure people that their best safeguard is that there is what's called an air gap. In other words, the voting machines are not connected to the internet. Therefore, you need to be physically in the building to hack into it. that That's the method of reassurance. What? At each state has it what's called a secretary of state or some other office bearer. Again, a big difference from Australia. Remember, we have a public servant in charge of the Australian Electoral Commission. In the American system, you have a politician. And the politicians, secretaries of state, or whatever title they wish to have, not the secretary of state that we all know about, Mike Pompeo, but each state has a person who's in charge of the electoral system. And the association of those secretaries has tried to reassure voters that the system uh, will not be disrupted by hacking, but I've got to say, if eleven-year-olds can do it, admittedly I wouldn't be able to. But eleven-year-olds can do it, and the young girl Bianca Lewis on her T-shirt says, "I have no time for Barbie dolls."
0: Ah. <laughs> so let's go back to this um, idea that they're going to purge people with black name or probably Latina names. Yeah, as well. you Think yeah. Um, off the electoral roll in America that the Republicans are trying to do this. Um, what are the what are the reasons, and how do they get away with that?
1: Well, they do get away with it because there isn't just enough scrutiny. And, of course, the media are in decline in the United States, so previously you would have had scandals, but now a lot of newspapers are cutting back on a lot of the investigative journalism. So So, it's not only Republicans. You know, Jimmy Carter, in his memoir, when he started a run for public office in the 60s and 70s, was horrified at the way in, in Georgia. You vote early and you vote often. So it's it's not just Republicans who are doing this. You can imagine also some of the Democrats doing it.
0: Okay. But then what if that person goes to try and
1: vote in the election? They're not on the roll. They're turned away. What? I know. I know. By Australian standards. You see, we, we've, a, we've a tendency to assume that what goes on in Australia is the benchmark around the world. It is not. We're at the top when it comes to the quality of the voting system. Wow. And, of course, remember, we have compulsory voting, which means that basically 98% of Australians who are eligible to vote do vote. In the United States, um, in a good year, 50% of Americans will vote. It's interesting to note that the Holiday Inn hotels say that 95% of their residents check out before the deadline. You know, in other words, you've got to check out time, say 2 p.m. 95% of their clients do follow that order. But when it comes to voting, only about half of the Americans who could vote bother to vote.
0: Right. So, obviously, Republicans would be smart about the names that they're taking off the list. They do it in only yeah. areas where they're not going to... They couldn't Because they couldn't get away with taking big
1: chunks, obviously, no. off the And list. You know, they've got gerrymandering and they're redrawing boundaries. Again, in Australia, we have public servants who redraw boundaries.
0: So what is the feeling then, uh, which way we'll go in terms of swinging this election? Well,
1: you've got a Senate which is up for election, and then you've got the lower house. The, the, I don't think the Democrats will be able to take the Senate. I think they're just too far behind. The House of Representatives is a different story. So what tends to happen every four years when the president gets elected, then the president is able to draw in people on his coattails. That's the expression. So you, you tend to get, let's well, let's say 2016, you've got people who were voting for a Republican president and they would tend to vote Republican senators, Republicans in the lower house, house representatives. And obviously the other way around, if you've got Democrats like Obama could bring people in. But then in the midterms, traditionally, the vote goes against the sitting president. And so this is what's worrying Trump. Not that he thinks he's going to lose control of the Senate, but he could lose control of the lower house. If he loses control of the lower house, then many of the committees which are currently dominated by Republicans will be dominated by Democrats. And those committees have been shielding Trump from all sorts of inquiries for the past year and a half. His worry is that if you end up with Democrats, Democrats, on those committees, who knows what investigations will take place.
0: But it's likely to go that way anyway. Traditionally, it does, right? exactly.
1: And so Trump, I've noticed, uh, has just been talking to a group of conservative Christians, encouraging them to get people out to vote. Remember, voting is not compulsory. And until a few decades ago, Christians, which represented quite a large number in the American population, Christians didn't bother to vote because they thought it was sinful. And besides, Jesus is coming back any day now. Why bother? But then you get the rise, well, originally of Jimmy Carter, who's out on the left, appealing to the evangelical Christian vote. And then you end up with the Republicans and the moral majority, etc. So the Christians have arrived in politics and they've stayed. And they represent an important voting bloc. And Trump, despite all his sinful ways, particularly with women, etc., is appealing to that conservative bloc. The way he does it, of course, one of the ways in which he's done it is by moving the embassy in the United States to Jerusalem. For conservative Christians, this is a yet another step towards Armageddon, the end of the world and the return of Jesus. Now, ordinary people may not like that logic, well, but in the United wouldn't, States, wouldn't understand that they logic. They wouldn't understand that logic, but if you mix in those circles, then it does make sense, and that's why he's done it.
0: you listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking today about the US midterm election, which is coming up in November. This is an election that goes between the two... I don't even know how you explain it. Do do what you did before because that was really good at how you described
1: it. So it's the election that occurs two years after a president is office. So the president is elected for four years and the current president would be eligible to stand for another four years. That'll be in 2020. So the midterm refers to the elections that take place in the middle of the president's term. So that's two years laid down in the constitution. So the date is fixed, which coincidentally in Australia is easier to remember because it's Melbourne Cup day. Ah. (laughs) So Australians will, will have had a bit of a gamble and then they could watch the results coming in from the United States. So one third of the Senate... And all of the lower house.
0: Okay, and traditionally it goes against the sitting president because they've had two years in office, and people generally go, "Ah, I'm not. You're not doing yep. exactly how I want you to do." So slap you down. Blah, blah, That's blah. right. Uh, and Trump is worried about that. However, there are a couple of things going in his favour, as we just talked about the Christian vote, which he yep. has done doing really well with, despite his affairs and Absolutely. all sorts of immoral yeah. behaviour. <laughs> but then also moving the the Jerusalem in... Um, in Israel moving the American embassy.
1: So that'll appeal to the conservative Christians. Mm -hmm. You've also got the state of the American economy. So as we speak, the United States has now clocked up the longest, what's called a bull run, a growth in the American stock exchange. So I always make a distinction between the stock exchange and the real economy because if you're an ordinary worker in America, let's say working for Walmart, you've not had a substantial wage increase for 40 years. So your wage has just barely kept up with the rate of inflation, right? But if you're an investor on the stock exchange, you've had now the longest increase in the wealth of your shares since presumably, well, I don't know, I don't know when they begin the records, It probably in the 1930s, maybe back, going back even further than that. So this was an economic recovery that began in June 2009. But this is
0: rich getting richer.
1: It's the rich getting richer, exactly. And so if you're owning shares... Those shares are now worth much more than they would have been back in 2009 under Obama. So what Trump has done is to make good use of Obama's economic recovery, but also through the tax cuts, which he introduced at the beginning of this year, which will give a lot more wealth back to the rich. Again, it's a bit of a burst for the economy. Plus, of course, he's spending big on defence. Now, in the long term, this is going to be a disaster because it means the US government's going deeper and deeper into debt. You know, it's worth bearing in mind that President Clinton, great leader of men and a great follower of women, whom we tend to ignore in American politics. But it's interesting, President Clinton's great achievement was to work with Congress to get rid of the US government deficit. If the program that had set in place had been maintained by the incoming president, who was George W. Bush, then America would not have had any debt as we speak. George W. Bush comes to office and he says, oh, look, it's wrong for the U.S. government to keep this money. We'll give it back to the taxpayers. And so the U.S. begins to sink deeper into debt. It's now the most heavily indebted country in the history of the world. Trump hopes that this economic burst will continue. If not, if things go bad by November the 6th, then there could be a lot of angry voters out there.
0: So he's still got a bit of worried about, like, between now and November when the election happens, there is still a lot that can go wrong for him, i.e. being impeached.
1: Yep. Well, now this is one of the other interesting issues because Democrats are saying, vote for us and we'll impeach the president. The problem is that that's a waste of time. You can certainly begin the process of impeachment, which in effect is um, a process of indictment, right? I think at the
0: moment, though, they've got the evidence... To support them, like the, the investigation, they've got almost well, everything know, they need. I
1: know, but you see, you've still got a. What happens is that the House of Representatives has to compile the indictment for the impeachment and then he goes on trial in the Senate and it requires two-thirds of the senators to vote for that and the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court presides over that. So we saw that in time of Clinton and Lewinsky and the prosecution could not get the two-thirds required. Of course, Richard Nixon resigned before it went to that. He just got out. Clinton decided to fight it, and he won. My guess is that, okay, Trump does badly in November, but he will still have enough people in the Senate to block that two-thirds seeking conviction. And, of course, it'll paralyse the US government. You know, when we had the time of the Watergate trial and and all of that controversy, I was in Vietnam. So here we had the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces struggling to keep his job. Meanwhile, the United States system itself was convulsed while I was busy fighting a war. And this is the worry that we've got. If the Americans become even more self-absorbed, self-indulgent, worrying about Trump and uh, risk of impeachment, then what's going to happen to the rest of the world? You know, the growth of China, the growth of Russia, etc. A whole new world is being created out there and the Americans are worrying about Trump.
0: Yeah, but then that's all they worry about, though. They worry about the insular stuff, don't they, Americans? Oh, yeah. They don't really think outside of on global scale.
1: No. It's a very worrying situation if you're the number one country in the world.
0: Ah, uh, Keith, we're <laughs> going to have to revisit this and plenty of time, by the way, in the next few months to revisit Absolutely. this. Absolutely. As developments occur. This has been Global Truth with Dr. Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.